We had the honor of baptizing uh, uh, Tyler and Whitney's two of their children, and uh, Caitlin and Jacob, uh, last Sunday evening, and over at the Noblet's pool. You, you know, it, uh, uh, it's, it's so it's such a crazy time of year. Everyone's, you know, matter of fact, Whitney had just gotten back in from a funeral. Uh, for her uncle, got, got back in town and headed right over there. You know, usually we kind of do baptisms right after church so everybody can come cheer them on. But we were still able to, uh, uh, the staff was able to get over there and just cheer them on. And we, we had a, just, it was such a blessing and it was so refreshing. It was the first two baptisms I've been able to do post COVID. Uh, when COVID hit, we actually had three folks on the docket that we were like, scheduled to baptize and, and we were going to be baptizing them that weekend uh and and covid like the world shut down on a tuesday and and uh of course at the time we thought ah this is going to be a few weeks so you know hey we'll get to you and uh had no clue it was going to be two years <laughs> basically that the world's going to be shut down so for me it was just a it, it was such an honor and and was so thrilled uh to be able to do it it's one of the one one of my favorite things to get to do in ministry, and uh, uh, and even at youth camp we had there was some teenagers that started talking to me about bap- baptism, and so I I just thought you know what Lord let's just open the door to this we're going to talk about baptism today a little bit, and many of you have already been baptized, some of you haven't been baptized, uh, perhaps you were baptized as a child. Now listen I I don't want you to. You know, I'm not going to get into theological debate or anything. On that's not who I am. Uh, so, so if you were part of uh, a church organization or denomination that that does uh, baby infant baptism, okay, uh, I'm not taking anything away from that because a lot of families that's a very special moment and everything else. And and uh, someone said, well, isn't that a is that a bad thing? No, it's not a bad thing. You know, uh, is it a biblical thing? No. The Bible doesn't teach it, but at the same time, the way we even conduct church isn't necessarily biblical either. They didn't, they didn't have church the way that we do church. Uh, God's creative. <laughs> he can use oftentimes things that we do. Uh, but, but what we teach here is baptism is, is an act of obedience once someone believes in Jesus Christ. It's not part of salvation. It, it is uh, an act of obedience to publicly declare your salvation. So uh, the Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith. And that not even of ourselves. We can't even take credit for the faith. He's the one that gives us the faith. And then, and then baptism becomes the public declaration of what's taking place on the inside. The fact that you have, with Christ, died out to your old self. You've been buried with Christ and resurrected to be something new. Just like Christ died, was buried, and was resurrected, glorified. And so baptism is very symbolic of that. It's, it's the death, the old you's getting buried in the water, the new you's coming up. And it's, it's a beautiful act of obedience. It's, it's uh, the way I explain it to young people. It's if, if you're going to, if, if Jerry Jones called you and said, Dak Prescott's hurt this week, I need you to come play quarterback because we got to play the Philadelphia Eagles. Philadelphia Eagles, right? So, uh, you know, whose jersey are you going to put on? Well, the Cowboys, because that's who you're playing for. You're going you're gonna to be identified with the jersey you put on. And that's, that's what baptism is. That's one facet of baptism, okay? 
there's, man, uh, baptism, you could go weeks and weeks and weeks studying. It's such a multifaceted, uh, so much rich symbolism in it, uh, so much blessing. So uh, I want to say this before we, before we proceed today. If you've never been baptized, give us the honor of baptizing you. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, faith that he died for your sins. The Bible says, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that he rose again in three days. You'll be saved. If you believe that his death, burial, resurrection is the redemption for your sin, uh, confess that and give us a chance to baptize you. Maybe you were baptized, uh, like I said, when you were, when you were uh, a baby. Well, praise God for that. Uh, but now that you are a believer, at the time, you weren't a believer. You were a baby. And someone else made that decision for you. Uh, I encourage you, make a decision and, and give us the honor of, of baptizing. Does it make you any more, any more saved than you are right now? But there is incredible blessings that's a part of it. Uh, or maybe you were baptized years ago and you went through some stuff in life and you've come back to the Lord. I've had folks come back and say, you know what, I, I understand things differently now with the Lord. And baptism means something totally different to me. Could, could I be baptized again? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, if it, if it's a, it becomes an Ebenezer stone for you, per se, a, a, a memory mark. Okay? Uh, it doesn't, doesn't negate your previous baptism. It doesn't make you any more spiritual. It's, it's, a, it's part of your faith walk. So uh, I want to encourage you guys, if, if you've never been baptized, or maybe it's just been a mess of a life and you got, you're kind of getting things straightened out with the Lord finally, uh, come talk to me. I would be honored to do that. But today we're going to talk about baptism, and, and it's a bit of a different angle. We're, we're going to call this waters in a garment. Waters in a garment. Uh, and, and it's, it's going to be a chance to see baptism from a slightly different angle. You know, it's like a jewel. And if you shine the light in a different way, you see different, uh, reflections and different qualities of the jewel. And so I, I want to tilt baptism in a way that maybe we can understand something, uh, particularly who we are and what kind of authority we get to walk in, in Christ Jesus and what kind of victory that entails and what kind of honor it is. And it does involve baptism. Now, just be aware, we're going to kind of go the long way around the mountain a little bit, right? We're going to meander because in doing so, you get to discover some things. You can go from point A to point B really quick, or you can take a good scenic route and kind of enjoy things that you discover. You know, to get to Asheville, North Carolina, when I went to go preach there the other week, uh, Pastor Shekinah Schwartz and her husband Kevin and uh, the church at Asheville. Uh, now, you can you can hop on I-30, go straight into Little Rock, and then take I-40 all the way through uh, the, the heart of Tennessee, straight through into the Smoky Mountains, and it'll dump you right into Asheville. It's a really, really straight shot, and it's pretty. Or you can hop on I-20, go all the way into Birmingham, Alabama, go up Interstate 59 into Chattanooga, Tennessee, and then hop on Highway 74, and it'll take you just a little, little while longer, just maybe, maybe an extra hour and a half longer. But man, you will cut right through the Cherokee National Park on a two-lane highway. You've got rapids, and you'll see rafters going down those rapids. It is one of the most gorgeous drives right, right through the, the heart of the Smoky Mountains. Uh, so sometimes it pays off to meander a little bit. So if you'll allow me today, I am going to preach, and we will get to baptism, show you a little different facet about baptism, 
but we got to meander a little bit. We got to go all the way back to the book of Proverbs. And uh, did I not grab my clicker, Peter? Oh, Peter's got my clicker. Look at that. I'm so glad to have Peter back. And he's moving his arm and everything. Proverbs chapter 30. Now, I want you guys to get these names. Memorize these names before you go home. These are the words of Augur, the son of Jacob. His utterance. This man, he's talking about Augur. This man declared to Ithiel, to Ithiel and Ukul. What wonderful names, right? Y'all going to name your sons that. Come here, Ithiel. Come here, Ukul. This man declared to Ithiel and to Ukul. This is what he declared. Surely I am more stupid than any man. And do not have the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended into heaven or, or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name, if you know? Now, who Solomon is writing about, uh, oftentimes within the book of Proverbs, Solomon actually quoted other teachers. We don't talk about that very often. But this is one of his contemporaries, this teacher named Augur, who was son of Jacob. Perhaps he was a teacher within Solomon's school of wisdom. And it makes sense because if you're a wise man, you're going to hang out with other wise men. Successful businessmen don't hang out with people that are down and out all the time. They hang out with other successful businessmen. They feed off each other, challenge each other. You know, most positive, upbeat people don't hang out with depressed people all the time, right? So, you, so it would make sense that Solomon is hanging out with other scholars and other wise people. And so this man, Augur, perhaps Solomon's walking down the marble halls of his school of wisdom, and he stops by a classroom just to check on Augur. And Augur is speaking directly to two students, Ithiel and Ukul. Who knows, may have been like the, the straight-A students of the class. And he's talking about God, the subject of God. And apparently it impressed Solomon enough that he put it in his book so that all these years later in North Arlington we could read about it. And he says this, what he's saying is, I, look, I feel like an idiot. I don't feel like I'm wise at all. I know there's a God out there, but where is he? Who is he? Can we find him? Is there a God that can reach up into heaven and ascend, who then can descend and reach down to earth and, and mediate between the two? Is there a God who can catch the wind in his fist? Is there a God who clothes himself with garments that he puts water in, living water? The source of life, waters in a garment. He has garments full of water. You know, 70% of the earth is covered in water. It's the source of life. It's no surprise that science teaches that most, all, most of life came from the ocean. Well, you could have turned to Genesis 1 and discovered that. In the beginning, the earth was 
void and without form, and darkness covered the deep. And the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the deep, the water. It's, it's, no, it's, 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 it's no surprise that Solomon says that the earth itself declares the glory and the image of God. That nature itself is fashioned in his pattern and in his face. When he, the, the, the spirit of the Lord hovered over the ocean and when he decided to create a wave, he just took it, made it look like the side of his hair, just whoosh. And then he pushed that cloud over and made it look like his nose. And when it came time, then he, he, he scooped up some water so he could see the mirror of his own reflection and dumped it out over on the land. And then shaped something that looked like him and breathed life into it and created man in his own image. Over 90% of our body is made up of water, fluid, unless you're Martin, it's coffee. Water. In the Bible, water is always uh, depicts the spirit. It, you know, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. It's talking this spake he of the spirit. And Augur is saying, man, there's, there's a God who somehow or another can do all this stuff. I just, I don't, where is he? I know he's there. Does he have a name? Does he have a son? And do you know it? Now, Augur is having to deal with types and shadows. He's living on the, the backside of the cross. And so he's living in the Old Testament where things are just types and shadows and forms, and he's trying to figure out these patterns of God. We have the vantage point of living on this side of grace or this side of the cross with illumination and understanding. So all of us can sit here and go, yes, you know, if we could slip Ithiel and Ukul a cheat sheet, you know, when he says, does this God have a son? Well, what would we put down? Anyone? Jesus. Does he have a name? If you know, yes, Jesus. If we could wake Augur up from the Solomon's mortuary and say, hey, we can answer your question. It would be Jesus. Because up until then, God would have to present himself in various forms. He would show up in a piece of shrubbery on the backside of the desert and catch it on fire. And through the crackling and popping of the flames, he would speak to Moses. He would, he would zip up a suit, a flesh suit, and appear outside of the tent of Abraham. And Abraham would say, oh, my Lord. But he described him as a, as a mere man. Or, or he, would, he would show up in various forms. And yet Augur is saying, man, if I could know what he looks like, where can I find him? Surely, he, surely there's a God who's going to sit in his temple. Now, he did show up in some temples. The first one was Moses. Moses built him a temple out of badger skin, didn't he? Out in the desert. And the Bible said that God was enthroned between the cherubim, right there on the Ark of the Covenant. And then all of a sudden, God gets, they build God a new temple through Solomon. You remember? They, they, Solomon, when he was dedicating that temple, wanted a clear path for God to walk from the old tabernacle 
and be able to sit down in the new temple. And so he slayed so much, so many animals that it was such a, such a huge path of blood that, that it wouldn't be defiled by man so that God would have a straight path to go between the two temples and sit in his new home. They slew 100, 120,000 sheep killed that day in the dedication of Solomon's temple. 30,000 bulls. I read somewhere that if you did a gallon, if you, if, you had, if you added up all the average gallons that these animals have in them, now I'm not a mathematician or an engineer, but, but I've seen it claimed that there was so much blood spilt that day that it could actually flow, it, it could actually pour over Niagara Falls, the U.S. side of Niagara Falls for four seconds. That's a lot of blood. So God sat in that temple. And then Zerubbabel would rebuild part of that temple and would declare the word of God and God would sit in that temple. And then fast forward to Jesus and they take him to the temple that Herod built because they wanted him to see what they did with the stones that Jesus created in Genesis 1. <laughs> and they said, look at this place. Forty and six years it took us to put this temple together. And Jesus said this crazy thing, didn't he? He said, tear this temple down and I'll raise it in three days. And they said, you're going to build it back in three days. It took us 46 years. They had no clue that he was talking about himself. You remember this? So here's Jesus talking about this new temple. God never sat in Herod's temple because he was busy sitting in Jesus. I love this. Ephesians 4, 9, he says, you remember Agar asked the question, who can ascend and ascend into heaven and descend into earth? Well, Paul answers that all those years later. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? We're talking about Jesus. He's the one who can mediate between heaven and earth. John 1, 18, no one has seen God. Agur was dealing with this invisible God. So well, no one has seen God at any time. But the begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. In other words, nobody's seen God, but the Son who was in the heart, the bosom of the Father, He has declared. In other words, He bears witness and says, hey, I know what He looks like. I know what He sounds like. I know what He has to say. I know what His heart has to say, because that's exactly where I'm at. Colossians 2 and 9, I love this. For in him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So within the body of Christ, you had God. He was 100% man, but 100% God. That's 200%. Only God can have 200%. It's pretty cool. He was, he had pure, the, the pure blood. I, this is a really cool thing. The, the, uh, when, when a baby is forming, uh, the father's genes, when it comes to blood, the father's genetic information are the dominant genes. And so typically, chances are, your blood predominantly came from your dad. So Jesus may have gotten the DNA, ge the genetic code for the texture of his hair and the color of his eyes and the shape of his ears from his mama. But statistically speaking, he would have gotten his blood predominantly from 
his father. That's why it's the pure blood that takes away all the sins of the world. The spotless lamb of God. So Christ became the image of the invisible God. It's, it's, anyone watch the old black and white invisible man movie? Y'all remember that? Now, when I was growing up on Saturday afternoons, right after Kung Fu Theater, right? Because you had Saturday morning cartoons. Right after that was Kung Fu Theater. And then right after that, it was afternoon, the classic horror movies. I'm talking about the black and white, Bela Lugosi, Dracula, you know, the old Frankenstein, all that type of stuff. And my mom would sit down and watch those with me. Right? Which is really funny. That means that my mom was crazy because, man, she'd have me in Bible study and be preaching to me and then sit down and turn around and watch horror movies with me. Right? <laughs> uh, 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 the classic ones. So you remember the old invisible man. And if it has anything to do with the book, uh, if, if, from what I can remember, he drinks a potion and, and winds up becoming invisible. Right? So no one can see him. They can sense him. They can feel him. They, there's evidence of him. But in order to be able to see him, anyone remember? What did he have to do? He had to put on clothes. He had to put on some pants, put on some shoes, get him a shirt and a coat, wrap his head up, put some sunglasses on, put a hat on, get him a cane, and he could walk down the street. Everyone knew he was there. Why? Because there was a manifestation of him via his garments, right? This invisible God decides to come and make himself known by putting on what kind of garment? He puts water in garments. Well, what is 90% of our body made up of? Water. He got a watery garment through the body of Christ, slipped it on so that the world now could have a human touch for the human race. And he walks around this watery garment. Garments are actually very powerful. I wish I had time today, and maybe the Lord will let me uh, uh, to talk to you about the three garments of grace. Maybe one day I can teach on that. He clothes us in salvation, Isaiah 61.10. He robes us in righteousness, Psalm 45.13. He, he says to put on the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness, Isaiah 61.3. Garments are powerful. Matter of fact, this watery garment that God donned through the body of Christ. He's walking along one day. There's a woman with the issue of blood. She'd been bleeding for years, had gone to doctors, spent all of her money, hadn't gotten any better, had gotten worse. She heard Jesus was coming to town. She said, if I can touch the hem of his garment, just the little fold that, that gets tucked up under and stitched, if I can just touch that, I know I can be healed. Christ was the watery garment of God. Augur said, I know there's a God. And I know he can catch the wind in his fist. That's what Christ did, didn't he? He stepped up and he said on the boat when there was this horrible storm. And he said, peace, be still. He just caught the wind with his fists. He ascends into heaven, descends to earth. And he clothes God with a watery garment, living waters. Now, what does this have to do with baptism? And I'll wrap up really quick, because I know you guys are ready to shoot fireworks off and grill meats and all that good stuff. 
So although this year with inflation, y'all probably just going to be grilling some veggies or something. I don't know. Ooh, meat's getting expensive. Baptism. So Christ is the watery garment of God. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have now put on Christ. In other words, you die out to you. I am crucified with Christ, yet I live. Not I, but Christ who lives within me. You become the garment of God. And he fills you with water, living water, the Holy Spirit. If someone says, I need to find God, guess what? Are you sitting by a believer? Look next door to you. You found him. I'm not trying to say Ryan's God. I'm saying God's in him. He gets to be the garment. God has clothed himself in that guy. God has clothed himself with you. You are the garment, watery garment of God. Isn't that an incredible honor? And baptism brings out that whole authority we get to walk in. Say, I don't know. I'm, I'm, you don't understand, man. I struggle. I'm so imperfect. Do you realize that just the hem of who you are, that part that's tucked up under, God has given you enough authority to have healing power, to have, have victory, to have authority over the enemy? That's some powerful stuff. So that's the wonderful thing about baptism. It allows us and reminds us that we get to be the watery garment of God. We say it all the time. You're the only Jesus someone may get to see this week. We are the body of Christ, are we not? He is the head. We're the body. The body is to do what the head says to do. We submit. It's not, not any fun if your hand won't do what you want, you know, if your hand's doing something completely different and your, your head's trying to tell it, no, don't do that. But as the body of Christ, we get to clothe God. We walk with him. What an honor. Let's all stand. Father, we thank you for the authority and the victory that you give us. We thank you for the lives that we get to direct toward you. I pray that everyone in this house today will feel so empowered to be the church this week. We'll feel so empowered to be the, the garments that clothe you. You have hidden yourself within each one of us and clothed yourself with us just as you did Christ. Help us to walk in the authority that Christ has given us. Help us to walk with the confidence and the love and the grace and the assurance. And Father, move upon everyone's hearts that those who would be blessed to be baptized, you would lead them to do so. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Everyone say amen.